Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, I think the writer of Hebrews must have uh, liked sports a lot, as Paul did. And this is one of the verses that makes me think that Paul was the author of Hebrews, although there's nothing in the book of Hebrews that says he was. Because Paul particularly makes reference to uh, several athletic events, but most particularly to track. He talks about life as being a race that is to be won. And so he does here, referring to the fact that we are in a race and that we ought to run it in a certain manner. And he talks about the fact that there is a cloud of witnesses that are watching us. I think we could translate easily the word witness and say spectators. And I think that he is referring to the fact that there are people in heaven who are paying attention to us on earth. We oftentimes think in terms of the Lord looking over our shoulder or paying attention to us, but I think it's more than that. Those people who have already died and gone to heaven, I believe, have a keen interest in what we are doing and are looking at us. My grandfather and my grandmother and my uncle and all the others and yours the same who have gone to heaven are looking and paying attention to what we do or don't do here upon earth Sometimes I can imagine that they must close their eyes and put their hand over their face and say, I don't want to see that. On other occasions, I'm sure that they smile with great satisfaction. And uh, perhaps my grandfather would say to me, you see that guy? That's my grandson. And I'm sure they do the same with you and me. There is a cloud, he says, of witnesses And some people say the word cloud means that it's simply angels that are watching. But I don't know that we could prove that. But there is a cloud of spectators, a cloud of witnesses who are paying attention to what we do. And because of this keen interest that heaven has in us, he admonishes us to do something. And notice what he says, to lay aside. Lay aside every weight. If you're going to run a race, you're going to get on the track and put your feet on the starting block and you're ready to go, there's one thing that you don't do, and that's carry a whole lot of things in your pocket. You don't have on heavy work shoes, nor long trousers, nor a jacket because these things will impede your progress. 
A person in track will lay aside everything that could possibly slow him down. In horse races, sometimes they, they put uh, some weight up on the horses in order to equalize the, the race and the, the amount of weight that they actually carry, the difference in the weight of the jockey and so on. But in a foot race, we want nothing holding us back. And that's exactly what he's saying about the Christian run of life. And sometimes we are so loaded down and shackled with things that hold us back from really being what we ought to be and run the kind of race that we ought to run that we can't possibly achieve very much. We're burdened down with worry. We're burdened down with excessive concern about what others might think about us. We're burdened down with what somebody might say or somebody might do. And we begin to find ourselves covered with shackles that would keep us from performing all that we ought to perform. And so he says to lay aside, get rid of the things that would keep you from being the kind of Christian that you and I ought to be. And I think we all recognize that many of these weights that we impose upon ourselves do nothing but detract from our capability of serving the Lord like we ought. It simply takes away. It simply puts such a burden on us that we cannot achieve for the Lord what we ought to achieve. And then he adds not only every weight, but he says also sin. There is nothing that will detract from a person's run in life for the glory of God like sin. And he, say these, he says these things beset us. So he says let's get rid of them. And let's, that the word re, uh, beset means impedes. It impedes us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He doesn't give us a choice of which race to get in. We sometimes want somebody else's lot in life. And we look at the other person and say, boy, they've got it made. If I had their life, I would be the greatest person in the world. I would be totally satisfied and happy if I were just so-and-so. Had all they have. And that person, that so-and-so that you just referred to as saying, if I had all that you have, I would be totally satisfied. Everybody conceives the grass to be greener on the other side of the fence, do they not? I think your life is better than mine, and you think my life is better than yours, and we all want to do all this exchanging. The Lord didn't say, try to change the track, get in another race, but he said to take what you have been dealt and use it to God's glory. That's all. If you're a millionaire, use it for God's glory. If you live in absolute poverty, live it for God's glory. If you are a brilliant scientist with an IQ approaching Einstein's, use it for God's glory. If you have a common ordinary 100 IQ or less, still use it for God's glory. Whatever one might do, whether he preaches in the pulpit, whether he teaches school, whether he digs coal, whether she 
or he is a housewife or a house husband. We've got to put that in these days because there are house husbands, I guess. Whatever, you know, you guys who are, who are now retired, did you know that you became house husbands when you retired? That was one of the requirements. So you've got all of these categories, whether you work in a bank or whether you don't, uh, whatever you do, we are to take our lot in life and we're to use it to the glory of God. We're running a race. Philippians chapter 3 is an important verse. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, says this about running. Paul says, not as though I have already attained, that is, attained the goal, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. The word apprehended, by the way, means achieved. I count not myself to have achieved. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. There's one of the weights that we carry. We have difficulty forgetting the past. And we hold on to it and remember it and dwell on it. And it becomes a tremendous weight of burden upon us. He says if you're running a race to apprehend, to achieve, you've got to forget those things which are behind and do what? Reach forth unto those things which are before. I used to work with a fellow who was a salesman. We were buying and selling cattle. And he would miss a particular sale, and I remember that he said, I was worrying about it and fretting that I failed to achieve that one. He said, forget it, must go after a live one. Uh, just that fast. He had forgotten the failure and was looking for a live sale. Forget it, look for something alive. That's what Paul was talking about. This man wasn't even a Christian, and he understood that. That's what Paul was talking about. Forget that which is dead and gone and past and reach forward unto something that is before you. Then he says in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Lord is going to reward our faithfulness and we are running a race designed to achieve the goal that we might get the prize. I press toward the mark. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is another important passage. Yes, indeed. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Know you not that they which run in a race run all? Well, everybody goes out there and runs in the race. It's in the race. But only one achieves the prize. Only one gets across the goal. Now, we understand that everybody doesn't win the race. Only one person wins the race. Here is his admonishment when it comes to running the Christian race. So run, he says, that ye may obtain. And I think we can quickly understand that ye may obtain the prize. And every man that strives for the mastery is, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a 
corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Why do people run in a race to, a, to achieve the crown, the gold medal? Well, why do we run in the race? Because we are after something that's incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. Paul was not a shadow boxer. He was not going to stand up there and, and punch at things that he couldn't hit. When he got in a fight, he wanted to, he wanted to be able to land some punches. Uh, you, you know the difference between shadow boxing and actually boxing. There is some target there for a boxer to hit. Paul said, I'm not a shadow boxer. And many of us are fighting shadows. We are not fighting real enemies. It's simply a shadow, and you can't hit a shadow. Be not a fighter of shadows, but be a fighter, if you're going to be, of something that's real, something that will count. Work for God in concrete matters, not fighting images and uh, things that have already passed and you can do nothing about. All right, let's go on to verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's some things here that intrigue me. First of all, we notice, looking unto Jesus, he's talking about running a race, and he's talking about looking in a certain direction. Everybody who runs a race knows that he never looks behind himself, he doesn't look to the side, and he doesn't look into the stands. He looks straight ahead at the goal. Now, in the running, the race of life, our object is to look straight ahead because out there at the goal line is the person, Jesus Christ, standing there and encouraging you on. All we got to do is look at him. He's, notice who he is. Jesus is what? He is the author of our faith. He's not only the author of our faith, he is the finisher of our faith. Philippians 1, 6 says, Be confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Now there's another reason that I believe that if we're Christian we always are, because if Jesus began something in us, he's going to see it through to completion. He which began it in us will finish it. He is not only the author, but the finisher. But notice what? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you mean to tell me that Jesus looked forward to going to the cross? That was going to be joyful to him? Certainly not. He went out in the garden of Gethsemane and prayed earnestly that God would take it from him if possible. So what joy was there? The joy was that he knew that in the end he would be victorious. You and I go through struggles and trials. We have our difficulties in church, in family, at work, wherever we are. We have our problems with neighbors and friends and relatives. We have our difficulties on every hand. None of it at times is easy. But there is one thing for sure. All the difficulties that we suffer in this life, as the scripture said, are not to be compared with the joy that we shall get in the end. 
It's worth it all. Jesus did not enjoy the cross, but he was willing to endure the cross because he was going to enjoy the results of the cross. And we're the results of the cross. We're saved because of what he did. So he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He was willing to take all the shame of it. And now he's able to sit down at the right hand of the Father. Verse 3. Or consider him, that is, think about him that endured such contradiction of sinners against him, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. We become weary. Members of our congregation have become extremely weary with the trials of being Christian. You've talked about it, you've thought about it. The reason that we get down discouraged and weary and distraught and think about quitting and doing all those things is, then the very first portion of that verse is that we don't keep our mind on Jesus Christ. You see that? If you think about Christ, then all of these things will not discourage us and we won't become so weary. He says, think about Christ lest you become weary. Another way to say it would be to think about Christ and you will be encouraged and you will not faint. Verse 4, ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. There is not a person that I know of in my memory who's ever had to die for his faith that I know personally. Do you know anybody that has really died for their faith? Jesus died for what he believed. He died for you and for me. And if we think we have it tough, we have it difficult, we have difficulties, we have problems, think what Jesus went through. He died for what he believed. We haven't done that. Verse 5, And yet ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. We forget this. I want you to notice this verse very carefully. We forget the exhortation that says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. We say, Lord, I can't stand all of this chastening, all of this whipping you're giving me. You're being too tough on me. And we forget that the Lord says in verse 6, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Let me tell you, if you think that you're being whipped around by the Lord, you ought to praise God for it because that means you're his child. If you're not being whipped of the Lord for anything you have done or, or have even thought, listen, you're on your way to hell. God disciplines his children. And when we're contrary to his will, we're going to feel the whip. Sometimes we'll feel it physically. Sometimes we'll feel it mentally, emotionally. Socially, 
but most especially spiritually will we feel the wrath of God upon us when we are disobedient to him. And this means that we're his child. Otherwise, we would never feel that whip. Now, I don't know whether we ought to talk about this morning, but I shall. And that's talk about discipline. I believe in discipline very, very strongly. And there are, uh, that is a discipline of children and, and certainly the discipline of adults. We live in a world in which we have to be disciplined. Listen to what the scripture has to say about some discipline. First of all, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. There shall no temptation take you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted more than you're able, but will with temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I'm starting with this. Because we say oftentimes, God uh, is allowing me to be tempted, and I can't help it if I sin. Listen, there's not a one of us but can help it if we sin. The scripture says that God will not put more on us than we're capable to bear. And he will, if we find ourselves in that position, provide us a way of escaping. Most of us don't take the escape route. And we go on and sin because it feels good and it... And it taste good or, or we think that we're going to have some tremendous pleasure out of what we have done and not a one of us in this congregation has escaped doing that. God does not put more on us than we are capable of handling. And he will make a way of escape that we might be able to get through that which is besetting us. Got that point? Don't excuse yourself or myself for sinning because we can't help it. We can help it. God has made a provision for it. All right. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness alright uh, well the rest of it more gladly therefore will I rather glory in my affliction that the power of Christ may rest upon me if I am being afflicted I will praise God for it because the power of Christ is going to rest upon me as a result alright I'm going back to uh, I'm going back to Job chapter 5 Job chapter 5 says, verses 17 and 18, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore and bindeth up, he woundeth and his hands make whole. Now, let's see if we have followed what I'm saying. Number one, we being vulnerable to sin, find ourselves in a position where we can sin, 
God makes a provision whereby we can escape it if we want. But most of the time we don't want to escape it. We want to go ahead and do the sin, so we do it. Then when we do sin, we're going to be chastened by the Lord. Okay? Now, verse 17 of Job 5 says that we ought to be happy if God corrects us. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Verse 18. For he maketh sore. What does that mean? That means when God whips you, you're going to feel it and you're going to be sore from it. I can remember when my dad would go out to the willow tree or send me out to the willow tree to bring in a little willow whiff. Well, yeah, I wasn't too willing to repent, but so I had to go get the whip. If I did, got a wee little one, he sent me back for a bigger one until I got the right size whip. And then he took hold of my shoulder, and on my bare legs, that little whiff began to sting. And let me tell you, I danced. You know, that's where I learned to dance, the only place I ever knew how to do it. <laughs> Any of you ever danced to the tune of a willow whiff? Listen, you can dance a good tune to one of those things. And I remember those burning sensations on my legs, and I began to squall, and then I began to repent, Brother Dillard, because I saw the error of my way. Let me tell you, when God lays his will with upon you or me, we're going to eventually begin to dance, and then we're going to see the error of our way and desire to make a change. He got his point across. He made us sore. But he doesn't stop there. Then what else does he say? And then he binds up the wounds. See, God not only lays the whip, but he will put salve on the wounds and dress them and love you back into his family. And with his hands, he'll make you whole. God whips, and then he takes you in his arms and he loves you. Now listen, that's discipline, the way it ought to be applied. When parents start laying the width to their children's legs to make them see the error of their way and do it for the purpose of educating them and teaching them, that's the important way. Beatings because of anger is not good. God does not discipline out of anger. He disciplines out of love. Most, well, I shouldn't say the word most, many parents discipline in anger. And that's the wrong time and the wrong way to do it. A parent who disciplines will do it in rationality, and then after the person, the, the child has been made sore, he is bruised and bleeding from that, then the, the parent will heal up and will love and will hug and kiss and say, I love you. That's what God does. Don't be angry when the Lord chastens. Verse 7. I guess we're going to have to quit. I'm not done. That makes another sermon, Bob. If you therefore, uh, if, you, if you endure chastening, then God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the, whom the Father chasteneth not? Let me go to Proverbs for some more verses. 
Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. 1918 of Proverbs. I'll just read these without comment for a moment. 1918. Chasten thy son while there is hope. Let not thy soul spare for his crying. Don't give up because he cries. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. I believe that there's many a soul been delivered from hell because of discipline. 29.15 The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And here I want to comment and then we'll close. This is true in our life, in dealing with our children. And I say to all of you, and most of you are well beyond the childbearing age, so you're not having to worry about it, but those of you who have children, I think there is one way that you can show love to your children, that is to properly, properly discipline them. To make them see that they're going to live their life and do uh, their thing according to the rules that are laid down in the home. And that family that does not discipline the child will rule the day because those are the kids who grow up, child left to himself. I've had parents say to me, I don't believe in disciplining my child. I'm just going to talk him into it. Listen, I haven't seen a child or very many children talked into anything. You couldn't have talked me into anything, I'll guarantee you. It took a little bit of understanding laid against my legs to cause me to realize uh, the lacks in my education. And I learned well, I think. A child left to himself will bring his mother shame. This is exactly why God will not leave his children alone. Don't pray to God, don't discipline me. Pray, God, give me the discipline that I need. Don't leave me alone. If I need a lashing, give it to me. Verse 8. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. If God does not discipline you, you don't belong to God. If you have not felt the lashes of his discipline, you're not his child. You're not his child. Verse 12 in the Living Bible is a very important verse. Verse 12 says, Wherefore lift up your hands which hang down and your feeble knees. Listen to it in the Living Bible. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand firm on your shaky legs. 
Mark out a straight, smooth path for your feet, so that those who follow you, though weak and lame, will not fall and hurt themselves, but become strong. There's a reason to live for the Lord, not only for our own benefit, but in order that we can make a straight path for our children to follow, and for the people who look to us to follow. Take those feeble hands and those weak knees that we have and discipline ourselves and allow the discipline of God to be upon us so that we can set a straight path for somebody to follow. I don't know if you're all children of God this morning or not. I'm sure most are, maybe everyone here. If you're not a child of God, you ought to become one. Now, I'll tell you one thing about becoming a child of God. You're going to get whipped once in a while. If you don't want to be whipped, stay out of the family of God because he believes in discipline. If you want to go your own way, don't come to the Lord because he's going to discipline you if you're in his family. If you don't want a whipping, don't you ever accept the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to have the discipline of the Lord on your life, and then you'd like to have him take you into his arms and hug you after he's done it, tell you he loves you, come on to the Lord. He'll do it. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.